Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. So we're actually, if you have your Bible or if you have an app, if you have your phone, we're going to have it up on the screen. We're going through a new uh, collection of talks over the next five weeks, this week being the first week, and we're going to open up the book of James. The book of James. James, I love that name so much. My nephew's name, James. Um, I have a really good friend. We all know James Walker. Uh, I just love that name so much because it's a strong name. And James, if you know, in the book of James, he is the the half-brother of Jesus, right? So he grew up with Jesus. That's kind of crazy, right? He grew up as a brother. He saw him on a day-to-day, regular basis. He saw Jesus grow up. And then he had a lot of, like, concern about Jesus, and the scripture talks about it. And then he has this radical uh, transformation of his soul, and really it came because of Jesus' resurrection. And then James becomes one of the pillars of faith in the... In Jerusalem and in the, in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to open up in James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 19, okay? The scripture says this, James chapter 1, verse 19. And I'm going to be reading to verse 27. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The book of James is is really a modern day to the New Testament. There's the Old Testament. We just went through the book of Proverbs, right? We didn't go through it verse by verse or chapter by chapter. But we had a good understanding that Proverbs is about wisdom. And James, the book of James, many scholars would say, is kind of like the next Proverbs to the New Testament. So James is kind of sharing to us and to our community, to those here at Coin Church, if you live in the Chino Inland Empire, what does it mean to step into more wisdom? But really, like, how do we actually live this out? How do we actually live this out? And so he talks about anger. Don't have it. It's not good. Therefore, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which say, can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. This is kind of like the thesis of the entire book. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, living by it, abiding by it, walking in it. They will be blessed in what they do. I love that. And James isn't talking about a blessing of riches or a blessing of of like even life, having the white picket fence and having like the cars or having the the house. He's not talking about that type. He's talking about the blessing to your soul, the abiding of Jesus of Nazareth, the, the, as we are students and disciples, like what does it look like for your soul to kind of come to rest and to walk and how do we live this out? Not so that we can gain anything worldly, but more so internally, How, how do we do that? And he says, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. 
And I, I don't know about you, but I want that. I want my life to not only be blessed, but I want to be a blessing to others. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and then to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Wow. James, I mean, this was written millennia ago, right? This was written right after Jesus died. He was, he was risen again and the, the, the Holy Spirit on Pentecost came and the church now was built up. And then what happens is, in this time, there are those that are claiming Jesus as their Messiah. But then, unfortunately, there were men like Saul, who became Paul, that kind of were out for people that would say, hey, if you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, then you're actually, like, damned to hell, and, and we'll actually stone you. We're going to kill you. You cannot proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And so what happens in the, the new church that is risen is that many people start being killed and martyred because of their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. And so now James writes, if you look at verse 1, it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And he's encouraging people because they're actually like literally dying because they're saying, I follow Jesus. And so he writes to us in a suffering world, in a world that's chaotic, in a world that's confusing, in a world that doesn't make sense. And he says, this is how you actually live out your faith. And that's what James is in the entirety of it. So the title of this talk is Actions Are Greater Than Words. Be doers. Subpoint: be doers. <laughs> Actions, guys, it's so important. And, and he, here's the thing. I... And my apprentice to Jesus, because I'm, I'm there too, I'm, I'm looking at this every single day, every week, and as I grow and as I, as I get older, I'm looking at my faith on a regular basis. As James would say, like, do you look yourself in the mirror? And are you looking at who you are and who you're becoming? And as I, as I do that in community, I'm, I'm realizing, man, there, I, I got to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. Or else I'll be polluted. And what happens is, is what is the world that looks kind of luring can, can easily mesh with my faith in relationship with God. And I don't want that. I don't want to be someone polluted by the world. I don't want to be like half in and half out. I, I really want to take this thing serious so that my soul can be blessed. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you have that distress right now where you're just uneasy, and it's not making sense, and hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but it's just like, it's not adding up, and my question first to you would be, are you actually living the life that Jesus called you to, or is it just something you're claiming as, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I serve, those are all great things, but are you living it out, as James would say, actions are greater than words, so let's be doers. So James starts in verse one with who he is and his identity. And the question is, is like, you have to ask yourself, who are you and who are you becoming? Because that will be the byproduct of your life. 
Not so much what are you doing, what does your career look like, what type of things happen in your life, but really the question you should be asking yourself is, who am I becoming internally? And James, he says this in verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. He says, that's who I am. I don't go by anything else other than I am a servant of Jesus. I live my life in service to God and to the Messiah. And so that's kind of how I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm going to be in service to him. And you have to ask yourself that question, who am I becoming? Or, or who do I want to become like? And really my encouragement to you, I, I don't think there's any other response other than, in my biased opinion, to be like the person of Jesus. To actually follow him and be led by him, and he's going to take you on a journey that I would argue is dangerous. It's dangerous because it pushes back against everything that we know in this world. It is so anti this culture, the way of Jesus. So we lead with exterior, and what happens is we operate out of identity and out of what is inside of us. That's how you actually operate. So in your marriage, you're operating from what's inside. When you go to work, when you're in career, when you're, when you're modeling parenting to your children, you have to ask yourself, or maybe you haven't, like what is in here because what's in here is going to come out eventually. Identity is the exterior combustion of who we are. So James knows who he is. And he's coming to Coin Church and he's stepping into our world. He's coming into our culture. And he's asking if someone has, something has truly happened to you. Like, I, I mean, you're here at church, so there's a couple of things. One, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Two, you know, maybe you're visiting us, still a follower of Jesus. Or three, you're just trying to figure this out. Like you're curious, you're, you're trying to understand this walk of life, this way of Jesus, and really to all of us, the question should be, has something truly happened to you? When our identity is in Christ, change happens. Change really begins to happen. And so James is breaking through the door and he's asking, are you serious about this Jesus thing? Is it something that is changing you from the inside out. And James, obviously, that's his identity, Az, a servant of God. So if you're truly serious about this faith, the whole book, the whole premise is it's going to change and it's going to affect how you speak to one another. If you're serious about your faith, if you're serious about your fellowship, your apprenticeship with Jesus, how you speak about each other, the way you make plans, that's, it's going to change that. It's going to change the way you go through hardship and trials, through persecution. It's going to impact the way you process scripture, the way you allow pride to affect you. It's going to affect your attitude towards the poor. It's going to affect how you deal with temptation because that's a real thing. It's going to challenge you to prove or to show or to model your faith. Has the identity changed on the inside because it will affect every area of your life. So true faith proves itself. I don't know if you knew that. That's what James is trying to say. He's saying true faith, true apprenticeship to Jesus, what happens is it will prove itself because we're, it will work itself out in every area of life. So James 1, to 25, again, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listen to it. And really, like, the mirror won't lie to you guys, right? 
The mirror's not going to lie. I look at the mirror sometimes, and I'm like, man, Sammy, you got to remember, like, I, I was, like, water polo guy. I swam. I was really athletic in high school. I look at him like, Sammy, you need to start working out again. <laughs> like, Sammy, like, man, you're getting older, kind of. You got a, a couple gray hairs. I love gray hairs, by the way. I'm like, Kelly, look it. I have some gray hairs. But the mirror, it's not going to lie to you, is it? It's not. Yeah, sadly, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. You know, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, all right, you know, you want, you want to be healthy, you need to start eating better. Like, kind of put away the soda, Sammy. I love soda. Put it away. It's not good for you. It's not, it's not good at all. You, you're, you need to start drinking more water. I don't know, do you have these conversations in the mirror? I do. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, you got you to change your actions so that you can develop the life that you want. But we think it's any different, we think it's different when it comes to faith or our spiritual journey. And the question we should be asking ourselves, and I, I do the same thing, is I, I also look at my spiritual man. I look at Sammy as a follower of Jesus in the mirror, and that is scary. We talked about our shadow side, right? That is not a fun experience. Looking at yourself for who you are, and all of your mess, and all of your anger, and all of your distress, and how you live life, and how you use your finances, and the things that you buy, and why you bought it, or pride, like are you doing things for the world's eye, or are you just kind of happy with who you are, and you just know the life that God's called you to live, so you're going to live that life well, based off your calling. You got to ask yourself these questions, if you haven't, like, go to the mirror today, but when you're leaving church, and just look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> but look at your soul. Look at your, your soul. What, God, what is it that you want to change? And look at who you're becoming. And the question is, am I a slave to my sin or my faults? Am I addicted to this unhealthy reality that I keep putting myself in? Am I addicted to that? Is my life pr producing growth or maturity or is it the opposite? And I would argue that when we begin to follow Jesus, oftentimes it is an intrinsic work that takes years. It's, I was talking to Taylor about this. It's like I have a new definition of like discipleship to Jesus. It is like a garden in a field. And it, it, will, it will take time. It's not like a manufacturing corporate building. That's not discipleship to Jesus, by the way. It is slow and there needs to be water, and there needs to be nourishment, and then it takes its root, and then it grows, and then we learn and we develop as we look at ourselves in the mirror, and God begins to do a great work in our soul, but it can't happen overnight. You know, it, it just can't because we have things within our bones. We have our family of origin. We have the past. We have our grandpa in our bones at times, and he'll come out every once in a while. The shadow side will come out. That unhealthy, addictive, sinful, that, that will come out. And we have to fight against that. And that's where discipleship to Jesus really takes its course. He says, James says, watch my words. Watch my practical talk. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious, this one's good. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And I just, I don't want to be that person. 
So I'm, I'm constantly telling myself, and I tell Kelly all the time, please, Kelly, like, you got to call me out when my words are not healthy. When the words that are coming out of my mouth, if they're not good, if they're not uplifting, if they're not, they're not good for others, like, I don't want those, that in, I, he says, keep a tight rein on your tongue. And then he says, and their religion is worthless. So that's the dilemma, right? As we step into relationship with Jesus, as we look at James and as we look at, at a new way of living, I want my life, when someone comes and sees me, as I follow Jesus, I want them to say, hey, there's something different about this person. This life that this person is living, it's, a, it's, it's so different than a normal person living in the world's life. And by the way, it should be attractive. It should, it should be appealing. People should want to know what is it. There's something different. There's something. You have this peace to you. Not me yet, right? I, I just, I, you have this, there's, there's, you're not so anxious. You're not so worried and stressed. You're not in a hurry all the time. And when you look at Jesus, that is who he was. But he lived it out. And it came from this faith that was so intrinsic to his identity with the father that that is how he lived every aspect of his life i just i don't want to be polluted he says and what happens is to to look after or this is what true faith and religion looks like to look after orphans and widows to look after those that are are low to those that need help to take care of others and then he says to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, and that, that one is important to me. And I know you could be thinking, and, and maybe you're thinking this every week. I don't know. Maybe it's just my own worry. Like, man, you're coming after me every week. It's like I'm coming after myself. You know, and it's like I, 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 I just take this thing so much more serious, right? And I don't want to get on my rant again, but it's like this, this, this Bible, the Scripture says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces and it goes right to my soul. And so as I look at myself in the mirror, it's going to show me the scripture. It's going to offend me. It's not going to make sense at times. It's gonna, I'm going to want to push it away. But the more that I draw near to God's word, the more I abide in him, the more he's going to change me from the inside out. And that is the life that I want. Because if, I, if, I'm, if I'm transformed internally, then my actions will spill out. Love, actually. Did you know that? It, it, when, when you actually become into true, transformative relationship to Jesus, it's right there. How, how, how on earth do you care for orphans and widows if you don't love? How, how on earth can we truly care for orphans and widows if we don't think of ourselves as servants of Jesus? If I want everyone to serve me, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to give you a, a hand. I'm not going to take care of you if you're in need. I, that, that is the last thing I'm trying to take care of myself. But what happens is when you find this true faith and transformation, you're changed from the inside out, and love becomes the overflow of that. And so that's, that's a great litmus test. Do people know you by your love or not really? 
Do they know you because you're graceful and you're merciful and you're kind and you're gentle and you're easy to be around and you're not confrontational and you're not judgmental? That type of person is who I want to be. The one that is filled with love. I mean, look at Jesus, like our true rabbi, our true teacher, sat with tax collectors and sinners, meaning those that were completely separated from true faith or true religion. And then all of these Pharisees and religious people, those that think that they have it all together, are like, who is this Jesus sitting with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, I actually came for those in need of a hospital. By the way, all of us need that. All of us need our soul to be constantly filled. And it's not works so much. We can't get confused with this. James is pointing out, The way you live your life is works, absolutely, but it comes from the overflow of what's inside. I mean, like, if I actually love, which I I love my wife, and I love my daughter, right? And those two loves are a little bit different. I have this deep relationship with my wife, but how on earth can I say I love Kelly? She would know. She could come up here and tell you. How on earth can I say I truly love Kelly if I'm not living it out? If my actions are not a result of the love that I have for Kelly. And it's the same thing, like we get so theological about it. We try to argue this, oh, it's works or oh, it's grace. It's like, come on, give me a break. If you really love someone, you're going to show it. Your actions will always speak louder than your words. So if you're just going to talk the talk and not walk it out, then you have to check yourself in the mirror. And that's just kind of where I'm at, guys. I'm sorry if that's offensive. I mean, it's offensive to me, so I could see how it could be offensive to others, right? I I could see how it's like, whoa, preacher. I, I get that. But I'm just at a different point in my life where it's like, if we really care about this true, like, discipleship of Jesus, we're gonna live it out. And that's why I kinda wanna open up a book and go through it. Maybe not verse by verse, but we're gonna go through the chapters of James. See, James comes in and he says there's another side of the coin and of the conversation. Yes, we're saved by grace, real grace, right? And real faith are alive and they move out through all the areas of our lives and things change. And if you don't see things changing, you have to ask the million dollar question, is there real faith in the equation? Is it real? Is it transformative to my soul? At some point, you have to ask the question, is my life the way I live, a true abiding of Jesus? Is it truly producing growth? Because faith without deeds is dead. That's what James would say. Faith without deeds is dead. And like, make it simple. If you're married, like, come on, your wife or your husband's gonna say, if you really love me, you're gonna show me. Like, don't just say it, right? Like, you're gonna live it out. If you really love your daughter or your son, you're not just gonna tell them that. You're going to show it by your actions. That's what I love about Grandma Liz, right? Man, she, and I say this all the time, she is the perfect, in my eyes, the perfect depiction of how I want to be when I'm in my 70s. Someone that's just filled with love, like an overfilling, overflow of love. And I know her discipleship to Jesus has been all, it's been all, all up and down throughout her life, but there's something that she figured out. 
It's not judgmentalism. It's not casting stones. It's just like this calm, still resting in the love of God, and I'm going to spill it out to others. And that's what I want. That's the type of life that I want, right? Yeah, we can clap for that. Love you, Grandma Liz. <laughs> so James becomes the leader of the early church. Really quick, Galatians 2.9. How do I know this? Galatians 2.9, it says this. Paul says to James, he is the pillar of the New Testament. Um, in Galatians 2.9. Uh, Acts 12.17, Peter gets miraculously taken out of prison. And as soon as he gets out, he says, make sure James gets word of this. Acts 15, 13, there's a big debate about grace and about works that could have split the early church. We see James takes the floor and he takes control. James has something to say to us. But James, just like all of us, has been on a journey where he had so much doubt, where he casted, I don't really know this Jesus, this my brother, like Jesus, what are you doing? Kind of be silent. Stop talking, Jesus. And so James has this radical transformation. So how did James go from hater to hero of the faith? First Corinthians says this. For what I received, I passed on. This is Paul. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is Theology 101. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, his disciples. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living in that time, obviously. Though some have fallen asleep, verse 7, then he appeared to James. That's it. It just kind of, that's, that's, well, what happened when he appeared to James? Clearly a true transformation took place. James investigated the claims of Christ, and it was his resurrection that changed everything. This was all public. It wasn't, it wasn't private record. It was public record. Not one person experienced Jesus. Many, many, many witnessed his resurrection. The gospel can be investigated. Did you know that? Investigate it. Go for it. Intellectually investigate it. Look at it. Go to the local library and see that Jesus was an actual historical figure. But what happens is when you climb the ladder of faith, there has to be a moment of revelation. And that can't come from a pastor. That can't come from your spouse or your friend or your children. That has to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he does. He brings a revelation to your faith that gets you to the top. It can't come from anyone else. It can only come from him. It wasn't subjective, it was objective. It wasn't this person out in the woods that had this crazy radical experience with a tree. And then the trees talked to that person and revealed all this stuff about life. That's not the gospel. <laughs> Every wacko or crazy, crazy religion is based on a subjective one encounter. And then a book is written or then something happens, not with the gospel. Jesus' life and miracles and resurrection happen in the wide open, and this is a fact. God isn't asking you to put all of your hope in some crazy person's experience. He's asking you to investigate the gospel. So I'll end with this as worship comes up. There's a famous quote from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you have ever read C.S. Lewis's writings, and it's, he says this, quote, Susan is trying to understand who the lion is, that big roaring lion. We, we named uh, Lenya after a, like, lion. That's what li Lenya means. It means lion. Because I love that depiction of, like, God 
as a lion, right? Strong and, and a powerful roar, takes charge wherever it goes. That's the lion, right? So in the lion, the witch, and the, the wardrobe, Susan's trying to understand who the lion is. Aslan is a lion? The lion? The great lion? Is he quite safe? Susan asks. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. I know it's not theological, but it really is the gospel. That Jesus is not only a great teacher, he wasn't just Jesus' half-brother, but he was the savior of the universe that came as fully God and fully man. He walked amongst us. He showed us what it liked to be and abide with the Father, to have a busy life and then go and be with God. To have a busy life and then go and pray and fast. To have a crazy, chaotic life and then be still with the calling that was on his life. Not trying to be like anyone else. Not trying to have the success of the modern day. But to simply abide in what God wanted for his life. And he was good. And he is good. If you have this depiction of God that he is an angry, upset, coward, brow type of God, then you have the wrong God. That is not the Jesus I know. Not the Jesus that when he invites me into silence and solitude with him, which is really hard, by the way, try it, just being quiet in front of God. When he invites me into those spaces, you know what I honestly, constantly hear within my soul is, Sammy, I love you. I'm well pleased in you. I love you, Sammy. I love you. And that's what I hear. I don't know if it comes because of my attachments, because of my mom and my dad, and it's psychological. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what you're hearing when you sit in silence and you're trying to understand who God is. But I can promise you that you have to understand that when he looks at you with who you truly are in your eyes, he says, I love you. And I've given my life for you so that you can live a blessed life. That's why I follow Jesus, by the way. That's why. This is the Jesus that James met. This is the Jesus that's chasing you, by the way. He's chasing you as a lion does. This Jesus changed James's life. So there's too much emphasis on being safe when you follow Jesus. Did you know that? I, it bothers me. Following Jesus is not a safe thing. <laughs> it is not. I had this conversation with, with, with Dr. Stephen. It's like so true. When you surrender your life to God with open hands, that's dangerous. Try it though. But you got to be real in your soul. When you, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of, of your life, you got to ask yourself, first of all, have you done that? And secondly, you'll know that by your fruit and by your actions and by how things happen. And there's this transformative power by the Holy Spirit. But there comes a point where you have to because God's not going to force anything on you. That's not how he works. I don't believe in that theology. He looks at you and when you open your hands to him, he, he says, okay, now I can do my greatest work. With a life that is fully surrendered to, to me. That's what God's saying. Fully surrendered. Now I can do my work. And I don't know about you, but when we pursue Jesus, we live a radical, beautiful, dangerous life. We live a life filled with risk and a life filled with challenge and a life filled with change. Filled with moments that stretch us past what we're comfortable with. 
And so I look at the book of James and I'm like, man, I need this every day. <laughs> watch my tongue, yeah, it's pretty bad. Even my thoughts, watch that, because it starts with your thoughts and then it comes out, right? And then he says, and I didn't really talk about this, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I know many people in this room, if I'm being honest, the reason why I don't feel comfortable preaching that is because I don't really know trials like you do. I don't really know the pain that some of you guys have. I can, like, empathize with it, and Kelly and I have gone through some pain, but not like what we really see around us. Painful, broken, someone passes away, radical, just craziness happens in our families, and it's just, it's so bizarre what happens in our, even in our church with our families. But, but James says, hey, because he's talking to a church that's literally being martyred for Jesus, he says, hey, when you go through trials, just know that God's refining you, that he's doing something in your soul, that he's crafting and he's molding you. And I love this. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and, and complete, not lacking anything. If any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so I look at that, and I'm like, man, yeah, James, I needed that. I really needed that. So wherever you're at in your faith journey, as we kind of come to a close and as we, uh, we, we do our duty or diligence or our spiritual habit of coming to church on a Sunday, by the way, that's like a big deal nowadays, which is frustrating that we have to like applaud that because that should just be normal. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, I kind of grew up like I had to go to church and I had to and I got to a point where I'm like, wow, I see why I need this wow, I see the scriptures and the community and the people and I need to be encouraged when I'm low and I need to be reminded, I need to be prayed for when I'm going through stuff. But the beauty of coming together is there's this corporate worship that together in all different races and backgrounds and economic status, we come together, all people, all backgrounds, all perspectives, and we get to worship the lion, a good lion. And it's like, man, I, I love church. I don't know about you, but I love this so much. So I want to invite you just to press in in this next moment as we finish with worship. I love you guys so much. I'm praying for you. I'm really going deeper with Jesus, and I encourage you to, to just, like, find more of Jesus in your day-to-day -day lives because, like, that is how you will live out of that. Amen? Amen. Love you guys.